0: The reading of the Scriptures from Genesis chapter 18, reading verses 16 to 33. I invite your uh, reverent attention to the public reading of God's Word. And as always, may God give us grace both in the reading and the hearing to do so in faith. So, from Genesis 18. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth, all the earth, do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find... At Sodom, 50 righteous in the city. I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it, if I find thirty. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again uh, in a time of prayer. <laughs> Father in heaven, we come again in prayer and we worship and bless and praise your holy name, ascribe to you glory and honor. You, my blessed Son, our Savior, and the Spirit of God, we worship the Trinity. And we are thankful for all that has been done to us to save us and to call us out of a kingdom of darkness and bring us into this kingdom of God in the most marvelous light. Thank you for your fatherly care, giving us all things needful for life and godliness. It's our privilege to return a measure of what you've given us uh, and ask your blessings upon it for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. Remember the sick who are among us, especially those who are shut in and cannot be with us. Bless them and bless those who are there with them to care for them and to comfort them. We ask your blessings upon our homes, our children, our grandchildren, pray that we would see them all walking in the truth. Protect us from every danger, uh, particularly those that attack the spirit, that can destroy the soul, uh, but we are confident in your protection guidance. Uh, bless us as a people, a congregation, to be salt and light where you have put us in this place, this community, in this day. Beyond those things, we all come with things that are weighing on our hearts. You know them. You know best how to answer them. I leave it to Christ to intercede for us on our behalf and for you to answer in ways that are well beyond what we can hope or think for your glory and our welfare. Make haste, O God. Make haste, O Lord, to help us. And now bless your word. May it go forth in power. And accomplish every purpose for which you sent it to us this morning. In the name of Christ, the eternal word, we pray these things. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayer. Uh, there
1: are, as you know, uh, many uh, warning lights uh, in life. Um, seem like I'm deluged uh, with them in my own life. I was in. Uh, the kitchen uh, next door, and I hear this beep 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 I'm like, what in the world is this beeping, this incessant beeping? And it's only reminded I've left the refrigerator door open, so you know, silly me, but it was a warning. Uh, you know shut the door. Um, I on occasion see warning lights on the uh, dash of my automobile, uh, low tire pressure. I always hate that one. I mean, I just despise that warning, but um, there it is. Uh, for what reason? Well, my own good, of course. Um, another one that I always kind of smirk at is the, uh, the amber light. You know, why didn't it just go from green to red? Well, it's obvious. But, uh, but we need warnings. And our Texas morning is a beginning of a, a number of chapters that are a profound warning for our own culture and society today. It's flashing incredible danger. Uh, so let's look at uh, the warning light of the city of uh, Sodom and the surrounding cities. Uh, we will learn that uh, judgment will occur on the city uh, in spite of Abraham's uh, intercession. So in verses 16 to 22, uh, God is gracious to Abraham uh, in His uh, revelation of justice. Uh, But more important than Abraham, He is gracious to all of us. Because foundation to us for fleeing for the safety of the grace of God is uh, the warnings of His judgment uh, that is upon us and certainly uh, will intensify the days to come. Uh, We learn here for the reason that uh, the Lord has come to Abraham. As you know, there were two uh, other angelic visitors. They're all three incarnate. Uh, if you will, a pre incarnate representation or expression, rather, of, of Christ, but uh, the angels as well. Um, there's a time of fellowship, a blessing uh, for Abraham to fellowship with uh, the Lord. Um, but specifically, uh, they will confirm to him the need to destroy the city uh, and all the surrounding cities and it is uh, it's our reminder that revelations of justice uh, uh, remind us of the importance of the revelations of his grace because absent his grace uh, everyone everyone will get judgment and justice Uh, We know because the Scriptures tell us that God will hold us all accountable uh, and responsible. Uh, We know because God is a just judge in all of His perfections that there must be satisfaction. And furthermore, we have a duty uh, to know these things uh, because ignorance is culpable. Uh, I think that's one of the great warning signs of our nation today that we're in serious spiritual trouble Many, many people think that they can hide behind uh, the excuse that, well, God, I just didn't know. Uh, you know tell that to the highway patrolman, uh, by the way. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Well, at least it never worked for me. Maybe it will for you. But, uh, but nonetheless, ignorance is culpable. Uh, God will seek uh, justice for ignorance. Uh, because we know. We know in creation and we know in Scripture uh, And in the chapters before us, God will uh, destroy uh, the city of Sodom uh, as a type of the end time uh, final judgment. And that's why I've called the city of Sodom a warning light that's flashing uh, or beeping, if you will. Uh, More terrifying for us, uh, really, than the destruction on the city Uh, is that the judgment is present because Christ has inaugurated all of the end times. The coming of Christ is not some passive event. It's active. And all of the end time judgments and prophecies are beginning fulfillment. And that includes not only salvation, but judgment. They've started. It's a terrifying reality. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. A couple of illustrations of this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, as a reminder uh, of uh, just that reality. And I'm going to read uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Those who are perishing. Gospel's been hidden from them. And they're perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Again, a revelation of present judgment. The God of this world is blinding people. It's also a corollary to the revelation of judgment. The revelation of God's grace. Notice uh, verses uh, five and six. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine, pardon me, shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Judgment and salvation going together. A revelation of God's justice, reminding us of the need for the revelation of God's grace to make the light of the gospel shine in darkened hearts. Another illustration that I know all of y'all are familiar with, uh, certainly uh, a reminder to us, uh, of the warning light of uh, the city of Sodom. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Uh, verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And what does God do with their rebellion? Well, as you know, three times there's an answer to that. In the first chapter of the book of Romans, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. Lastly, verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. So the church, rightfully so, oftentimes preaches that there's a great judgment yet to come. But it's present, because Christ is present. And everything is intensified with Christ. Uh, by the way, that in and of itself is the gospel. Uh, the very fact has been many, many, many decades uh, since the crucifixion and resurrection means that the warning lights are increasing uh, in their volume and their regularity. Because everything is started, salvation and judgment. And scriptures reveal the judgment is present and future, and the only remedy is God's grace and His mercy. And uh, God tells us how to escape that, by the way, even in this chapter. Look, uh, Genesis chapter 18, 19 verse. God says of Abraham, I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what He has spoken about him. Good reminder to all of us as parents to teach our children early, early, early. Because the agents of Sodom are present too, flooding the world and all of its institutions, the terrifying reality, judgment and salvation. So we're told here, early in the life, the first chapter, first book of the Bible, uh, the great patriarch Abraham, uh, He may command his children's household after him to keep the way of the Lord. It's a way of salvation. There's a way that seemeth right unto man. Solomon tells us. But the end thereof is the way of ruin and destruction. Christ is the way of salvation. Judgment and grace going together. Uh, God reveals the one to warn us and reveals the other uh, to awaken us to the danger. The justice that is about to occur here is uh, equitable. And uh, we know that uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, God gives due process. This always amazes me. He gives due process to the city of Sodom. Uh, seen in their outcry, of the twin cities, and really the surrounding cities. Um, you will look at uh, chapter 18, verse 20. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. So even the cities are crying out, warning, danger. Danger is coming. We have a way of thinking, well, all this sin we see in our culture is just men in their rebellion, they're going their own way, they think they're free. No, it's a sign in and of itself of judgment. The cities are crying out to God. Uh, To me, this is obviously a figure of speech called personification. Cities don't cry out. But here they are. uh, Crying out, God, you have to come. You have to come in justice. And God is on His way, isn't He? Remember the text, and the two men turn. The two angels turn towards Sodom. It is as if uh, the very ground is uh, uh, crying out God to act because of great, grave sin. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, it's literally their sin is heavy. It's very heavy. Um, Thus the incarnate Lord is on His way to Sodom with two witnesses, due process to validate the charge. Um, it's a biblical standard, as you know. Uh, and all the capital crimes throughout all the Old Testament, had to be witnesses those okay. capital crimes uh, by and large evaporate the New Testament. Thank God, there'd be a lot fewer people. Uh, but, uh, but even in the church, the execution of uh, uh, the terrifying judgment of excommunication uh, must be done on the basis of two and three witnesses. So due process in, in God's system of justice. Biblical standard. Uh, in this case, the witnesses are from heaven, uh, and therefore they are impeccable witnesses. Now, okay. In our system of justice, as you know, before a jury is set, um, uh, the attorneys get to question the jurors, don't they? Well, uh, uh, how do you feel about this? Now, they're trying to determine if they're going to help their cause or be of harm to their cause, and uh, they dismiss a few... There's there's no uh, attorneys that could ever dismiss these two uh, agents because they come from heaven. They're impeccable. They have no faults. Agents of the divine court that demands satisfaction. Uh, For us, again, the Gospel. Uh, It's either satisfaction upon the eternal Son or upon who? You reject His Son upon you eternal justice, justice without end, terrifying uh, justice. And the cities here are a warning light to that end. Uh, God has being gracious to reveal to us uh, his justice, and he also reminds us in the revelations of justice and judgment uh, that uh, he provides a way out in the revelations of his grace. So for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, The bill has come due, and God comes to collect. Uh, It's also an illustration that God is not capricious with evolving standards. One standard, uh, the eternal God, revealed in Scripture, so we know, we know. Remember, uh, several months back, Tim Hope. Uh, reminded me of a terrible error he made in uh, preaching a sermon in Uganda uh, about how uh, there's, there's uh, always uh, justice and uh, you, you can just uh, uh, take it to the judge and the judge will give you justice. And everybody in the congregation began to smirk and kind of laugh and snicker. You know, oh, jeez, I really stepped in this one. So obviously when he finished preaching his sermon, he had to go ask the students, I mean, what's so funny about what I said? I mean, the, the, their answer was uh, reminded to us uh, because they, they told him that, uh, look, in Uganda, uh, you, just, you just bribe the judge and he gives you what you want. You just take money to him or other favors, Sad to say, and he will give you what you want. That's not the way of God, by the way. Uh, he gives you his son to escape. Only his son. There is escape no other. Or it falls upon you. Impeccable standards for full, complete satisfaction. And he cannot be bribed. Um, You can't write a check large enough to escape it. Because your bank account isn't big enough. And that in and of itself is a majesty of Christ who is eternal. Who can bring eternal satisfaction. Well, the two men leave and uh, the Lord speaks with Abraham uh, to provide for him uh, an incredible opportunity in His grace. Um, Because we know that the two witnesses that are going to the city have an ulterior motive. What might that be? Uh, To save Abraham's nephew Lot. They're on a rescue operation to rescue Lot. Our reminder,
0: uh,
1: grace uh, rescues us. Uh, as you know, one of my favorite uh, verses because of the majesty of it, uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, I'm just going to cite a portion of it, uh, speaks to a time of terrifying judgment because of the presence of in-time deception. And deception is uh, trying to... Uh, Uh, get people to think, well, there'll never be judgment. There's nothing to worry about. Uh, You know, Alfred E. Newman, what me worry. You don't have anything to worry about God. He loves everybody, doesn't He? Uh, He's going to take everyone into heaven except maybe, I don't know, uh, Pol Pot or Adolf Hitler. No, uh, judgment will fall upon everyone except for, listen to the text, and everyone... Whose name is found written in the book will be rescued. One of the greatest promises of all time of the majesty of the gospel God will save and gather all his elect. Of course, God has no book in heaven. He doesn't have to go to the library and check out volume number three to see if uh, someone's name is there and if he has to save that word. He knows from eternity past. So, just a figure of speech enabling us to understand the gravity of the situation that men and women need to be rescued from eternal justice. And hear this great promise of the prophet Daniel everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will be rescued, none will be lost. What a great promise! What a compelling reason to flee to Christ for safety because there's safety in no one else. Nowhere else but in Him. Well, if God is going to be gracious to Abraham in fellowship and in warning him of the judgment that he's about to pour out upon the city, Abraham responds in kind. He's gracious to intercede and pray for his nephew, who he now knows is in grave danger because he knows that Lot has been moving And finally, he moves into the city. It is, I think, uh, worth reminding ourselves that um, uh, Lot was rescued once by Abraham. Prayer is going to rescue him again. And then the angels are going to rescue him timely and and, uh, fully. Uh, Great lesson to to share the gospel, because it's a means of rescue, really the only means. And uh, the graciousness of the Lord uh, to Abraham causes him to turn, be gracious to petition the Lord in prayer. Uh, we should be praying for people that we know, and we have relationships, with, that we encounter, because there's no mistakes in eternity, in God's providence. Uh. Everything is by design and by purpose. We should pray for the people that God brings into our lives. And Abraham petitions the Lord. Look, look at the petition. Uh, verse, uh, verse 23. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Who's the righteous? Well, in this case, it's going to be Lot. Uh, will you sweep away everyone else and get Lot um, this verb sweep away is sometimes used as a legal term in litigation. Uh, i remind reminded that justification is a legal event where God rescues the justified. But the prayer takes a form of a negotiation, doesn't it? And perhaps even the overtones of a bargain. That's essentially a prayer for compassion. Look at verse 24. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Uh, the word spare is literally to lift up and carry off. Better translated, forgive. So Abraham begins with 50. And then uh, if Jesus says, well, it's 50, I'll spare the whole city. And then, I mean, I don't know what Abraham, i would just speculate, but let's just speculate that uh, maybe Abraham catches himself and says, wait a minute, 50. That's too big a number. Uh, let, let me kind of whittle it down some. Maybe, you know, maybe he catches himself. You know, maybe there aren't 50. I mean, is he reasoning? Well, surely Lot's been in the city for a number of years. Surely he's witnessed to 50 people. And then, and then he thinks, well, maybe not. Yeah. So we go from 50 to 45, to 40, to 30, to 20, and finally 10. Whatever reason, Abraham settles on ten. Surely, uh, uh, Lot's family, take his family and a few others, there has to be ten. and Therefore, that will spare the whole city. So Jesus says, well, yeah, if there's ten, I'll spare the city. Uh, you and I know something, do we not? There's not even ten. By the way, I would remind you Uh, We make a lot of assumptions in life, do we not? Be very careful with assumptions. Uh, When it comes to the gospel, assume nothing. I remember for all the years I spent in the army, uh, we were trained when we were preparing for combat operations to assume nothing, to plan for and prepare for everything. So what am I trying to say? Be very careful about assuming people that you know have deep, long-lasting relationships with that they're truly Christian. Ask them. Question them. Could you define the doctrine of justification? Could you define the essence of the gospel? Assume nothing. uh, Because assumptions can be incredibly dangerous. It's really interesting when you ask questions like that as a way of sharing the Gospel, the answers you will get. Uh, So, learn to share early, often. And learn to question early and often. And certainly for those people that because of family relationships that you greatly love, assume nothing. I know what you're thinking. Well, Phil, I don't want to get in an argument. Uh, Well, it doesn't have to be. Ask God to be gracious. Pray for him to pave the way. Ask him to open hearts. Uh, Ask him to create light of the majesty of the glory of the gospel. Uh, But again, assumptions can be dangerous. And that's exactly where Abraham is. He's assuming ten. The city will be rescued. There are not ten. The city will not be rescued. We need to be gracious in light of God's inevitable justice to pray for God to save. It is as simple as that. Uh, Wise man once said, sin is a reproach to any nation. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In that, The warning light's going off in America, is it not? To be sure. To be sure. Our land is disgraced too. Turn with me if you would in your New Testament. Second to last book, by the way. Jude. Jude 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them Since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Notice eternal fire. Notice the euphemisms there, by the way. We know what they're saying, strange flesh. We don't speak in those terms. The euphemism in and of itself is terrifying. It's a warning of judgment. It's it's a flashing sign. The danger is coming. Uh, Here the context is um, that the vestiges of the philosophy of Sodom have invaded every institution of our country, including the church, by the way. Well, Phil, how can you say that? Because that's the point of the book of Jude. Notice. Verse 3 and 4, Beloved, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you earnestly contend for the faith which is once for all delivered to the saints, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Uh, I mean, if it's occurred in Jude's day, what about our day? Incredible intensity. Uh, Meaning that that beeping sound is getting louder and louder and coming quicker and quicker. Because if the church has been invaded by the men that have crept in, we oftentimes assume the church is a safe place. I would say that's a terrible, terribly dangerous assumption. Sometimes the church is a very dangerous place because uh, the agents of the kingdom of darkness have long since, taken it over. Even in our own country, wholesale historic denominations have fallen to progressivism and that there's salvation in multitudes of ways other than in Christ alone. Uh, dangerous times. So Sodom is in the church as well as every other institution or in our country. And... Uh, We see it evidenced everywhere, the decline in virtue and the presence of the end-time deception that advances lawlessness, if you will, warning lights to us. As sin ripens, uh, corruption of it advances, and people are being swept away to spiritual ruin. All the more reason to make no assumptions, to go and to remind people the gospel. If God is gracious to reveal judgment, He's also gracious to reveal a way of escape in Jesus Christ. It's also our reminder that God always has a remnant. Always has a remnant. I'm not so sure in the case of uh, Sodom, it's not a remnant of one lot. But I can't be certain of that. But certainly, very, very few and way, way, way less than 10. Parallel today, uh, Mark chapter 15, uh, verses 35 and uh, 36. Jesus therefore says, Be on the alert, for you do not know the time in which, or the day which the Master is coming. And therefore, be on the alert lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Luke chapter 18. Now shall not God bring down justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Yeah, there's going to be a remnant. And you kind of wonder. Because the deception is so pronounced even in many churches. Uh, thank God there is a remnant. I love, even though indirectly it doesn't really reference us, it's about uh, elect Israelites, but Romans chapter 9, verse 27, it is the remnant that will be saved. Will be, I love the certainty, the future tense when it applies to God. Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be rescued. Certainty. Romans chapter 11, verse 5 should also come about the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. God's grace. Judgment and grace go together. The revelation of the one intensifies the need and the revelation of the latter. So it's the urgency of the Gospel and the sovereignty of God because Sodom is a type of the end time judgment. It's what Jude has just told us. Except in Jude's case, it's eternal fire. We need to pray for God to restrain evil, purify the church, and certainly gather the elect. And we need to pray that we would be the instruments of sharing the Gospel of such a great gathering. And then we can have confidence when we do so because none of the elect will be lost. We need to pray for courage to warn others after the manner of the angels who are going into the city to warn Lot and to rescue him. Uh, the exactness of due process and the perfect justice means that God uh, must be merciful and He is. And mercy is the provision for justice. We have it in Christ, but only in Christ. Uh, My prayer is that you know him, and that your knowledge of him is intensifying, to trust him, to grow in grace. Why? Because New Testament authors tell us the days are evil. And final justice will come. The lights are shining. Uh, the sounds are beeping uh, the need for Christ. The sacraments before us testify that wrath fell upon our Savior uh, to satisfy uh, the justice uh, that is due us. Um, if you uh, know Christ as your Savior and are not living in any known sin for which you refuse to repent, uh, you are welcome uh, The to the Lord's table to partake of the sacrament. Uh, It's a reminder of the grace of God, the majestic reminder of the grace of God. Uh, Because in the sacrament of the Lord's table, uh, we can can taste mercy. Uh, Our faith will enable us to apprehend the mercy of God that the violence of eternal wrath was vented at one point in time upon the eternal Son of God. And He swallowed it all that we might be rescued. Uh, as the element of the bread is uh, passed, um, I, I encourage you to pray in uh, thanksgiving uh, that, that, uh, that God has saved you in Christ. He's already rescued you now and He will rescue you again. In preparation to partaking of the bread, uh, I'm going to read from John chapter 6 and verses 48 to 51. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the bread of life of the world is my flesh. So that as we partake of the element, there's nothing in the element per se, as you know. It's by faith we are apprehending the benefits that he has just described. That believing in Christ, uh, we will live forever. It's the greatest of all of the provisions of judgment. Namely, We will live forever in the smiles of God and enjoy His presence. Uh, As I pass pass the element of uh, the bread, I ask You to hold it to which time all of us have served and we will partake together to manifest the unity of the church for the glory of Christ and His power in saving His people. Let's prepare our hearts for the partaking of the bread. Our Father, we thank Thee for the hope of the Gospel. Uh, For in it is the promise of eternal salvation. That our Savior took wrath upon Himself. Uh, Pray, Lord, that as we apprehend Thy grace and mercy to us, that we would reckon that we too can be agents to tell others about the provision of the eternal Son. For to know Him is to know the forgiveness of sin and guilt and life everlasting. And may we uh, be encouraged and strengthened all the more as the day is late, uh, to be quick to share the Gospel and to remind uh, all that we know and love of the dangers of our culture, but that God has invaded our culture with the Gospel, which is our hope. May we hold it dear and may we treasure it uh, because He is mighty and powerful to save, uh, evidence in His salvation of us. And in the... uh, Joy that He's placed within our hearts to hear His Word and to meet with Him in the sacrament of His table. Bless us, Lord, as we partake for Thy kingdom's sake. In the name of Christ, Amen. We prepare our hearts for the uh, partaking of uh, the cup. I'm again going to read from John chapter 6, verses 53 to 55. Jesus therefore said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Just reminders of the representation of the cup. And that you and I know from the book of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Thank God that He shed His blood for our salvation. And that we come to remember Him and to fellowship with Him. And to celebrate in the cup of the new covenant. The joy of everlasting life. Again, as you uh, partake the cup and I ask you, you would hold it till which time all of us are served, and we will uh, drink together uh, to manifest uh, our loyalty and union with our great and only Redeemer. Our heavenly Father, we are thankful for the occasion to fellowship with our Savior, uh, to remember His death and resurrection, the satisfaction that He rendered for us and to us before the eternal uh, court of the justice of God, and that in Him, there is the great, majestic, beautiful treasure of forgiveness, now and forever. And so, Lord, we celebrate with the cup of the new covenant, and bless us as we partake uh, the perpetual reminder in this uh, life that we are forgiven. And may it be our joy from this time forth and forevermore. In His name we pray. Amen.